Nation, there's so many reasons out there to start taking notes on the Rocketbook. I'll list a few. One, it's a reusable notebook. When you've finished with your notes and you've scanned them into their app, you can simply just moisten the page and then wipe off with a microfiber and you can reuse that page over and over again. The best feature about the Rocketbook is you can search your notes. You will never lose a note again, which means you don't have to go back and do the valuable work you've already done because you can't find it. It is absolutely one of my favorite tools. Go to our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash Rocketbook to take 15% off your first order of $20 or more and never lose a note again. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And Nation, we figured why not, why not give you a couple of episodes that kind of explain what it's like to have a podcast and talk to a couple of people that are involved in either this podcast or they have water treatment podcasts themselves. So that's what we're continuing this week. We're giving you a behind the scenes peek at what it means to do a podcast and just some of the things and people that are behind all of that. We are serious when we ask you to send us your show ideas. When you send those, we have a complete process that we use to make sure that we can get those ideas when we are ready to start brainstorming. And if you're wondering, we do that about every quarter. We figure out either themes that are going on through the year, and then we try to break up the year into various themes. And then from there, we plan what we are going to do, who we are going to invite, what we're going to talk about, how we're going to talk about it, and all things in between. Well, today we're going to hear from a fellow podcaster in the water treatment space. And there's not a lot of us out there. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's great that we have fellow podcasters out there in this space because I think the more information we can get out there about how awesome industrial water treatment is, the better it is for us all. And when I get to talk to a fellow podcaster, I get all sorts of ideas that I can bring a better product to you, the Scaling Up Nation. Of course, everything we do is around raising the bar of the industrial water treatment industry. And I hope that you've heard a show at one time or another that inspired you to do something. Maybe it inspired you to think a little bit differently. And that created a change in your day to day. And that change allowed you to learn something else. And then maybe you shared that with someone else, and maybe that someone else shared it with somebody else, and we just cascaded a thought throughout the entire water treatment community. So I hope that you've been a part of that. The Scaling Up Nation gets bigger and bigger every single day, and that's because of all the Scaling Up Nation members making sure that people in this industry know that we do have a podcast that is just for them, And I want to share another one that you might enjoy as well when we introduce our guest. But before I do, I want to let you know about a couple of things that are coming up that you want to mark your calendars with. 
And if you have not been to our show page in a while, you want to go ahead and navigate over there because we have an events calendar that keeps track of everything that's going on in the industrial water treatment community to make it so easy for you to stay in the know and even add dates to your calendar with one simple click. Go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to our events page, and you'll see everything that I am talking about on the show. So Nation, here are some things that you want to put on your calendar. On November 10th, we've got another hang coming up. And if you've never been on a hang, it's something the Scaling Up Nation does to allow all the nation members to get together and just network, just meet each other. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to help. And you never know who might help you. We've connected a lot of people and solved a lot of issues with the hang, and we do it by having fun. Normally, we put out a, a beverage that is optional that you can bring to the hang. We always have a themed beverage, and then we get to meet some people we might not have met before, and then I break you out into small breakout rooms over Zoom, and I do that twice over an hour. And then right before the hour's over, I bring everybody back together and then we do some sort of game. I've done games like trivia. I've done games like The Price is Right. And there are a bunch of things that I've done that I can't think of to tell you on the podcast right now. But let me tell you, there were a lot of them and we had fun at every single one of them. And then I'll get feedback the next day that somebody was having problems with the water softener and somebody helped them with that. Or somebody had some problems with the wastewater jar testing that they were doing and somebody gave them some advice for that. Somebody was having problems getting into a particular account and somebody on the hang had a contact that they didn't have and they were able to get into that account. So you just never know what's going to happen. You can find out more by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang and go ahead and register for the hang. And then something else you might want to put on your calendar for December 6th through 8th in Thailand is the International Water Association's Biofilm Conference. Of course, we're all about biofilms here on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. If you've listened to episode 253, I had Dr. Paul Sturman of the Center of Biofilm Engineering at Montana State University on where we spoke all things biofilm and gave you a peek behind the Montana State curtain of all the things that they're doing so we can get better information on how we treat for biofilm. So if biofilms are your thing, go ahead and go to our show page and we will have all that information for you. Of course, you never have to worry about taking notes on Scaling Up H2O. We've got all of that on our show notes page and our website is getting better and better all the time to make it easier for you to find the content that you are looking for. So if you haven't been to the page in a while, again, at scalinguph2o.com, I'm sure you are going to like what you see. Well, Nation, as I mentioned, we are in the middle of podcast month, and I just made that up. We're talking about podcasting. You, the Scaling Up Nation, wanted to know more behind the scenes of having a podcast, and we're also inviting fellow podcasters on that are in the water treatment space during this month. So we're going to continue that. Here is the interview. 
My lab partner today is Anton Walter of GF and fellow podcaster. Anton, how are you today? I'm really, really, really happy to be with you, Trace, today. I've been listening to you quite a lot. I enjoy being on that same microphone with you today. Well, and we actually do have the exact same microphone, don't we? Aren't we sharing the, the Shure SM7B? I guess it's a road for all the podcasters. You start with something and you build your way up to the SM7B. And then once you tested it, you, you, you cannot go back. Absolutely. This is microphone number four or five for me. And, and uh, I'm glad it's the last one because they get expensive. <laughs> they do. <laughs> well, we're going to talk all things water treatment, but I thought we could we could talk about podcasting in water treatment. Let's face it, there's not that many podcasts out there that are in the space that we're in. Why did you decide to start a podcast in water treatment? And before we begin, uh, can you tell the Scaling Up Nation a little bit about your podcast? So my podcast is called Don't Waste Water. So it's a bad pun because I wanted to be a a lot about wastewater, and then I thought, yeah, but you don't want to waste water, so the don't is between brackets, so don't waste water, a bit of the two elements. I started out of frustration in the middle of the pandemic. I couldn't meet anyone, and I was sitting home, enjoying my time with my family and my kids, but I thought something was missing, and that something was discussing with, with people, and I firmly believe that how you learn new things. It's really about sharing and, and meeting people who have a totally different expertise than you have. And so I started just without knowing where that would head. And um, yeah, out of habits, then I was pushing out one episode every week for now two years straight. And I'm really, really glad I started. And I wouldn't think twice if I had to redo it again. So what was that thought? I mean, did you know what you were doing when you started a podcast? Because I had no idea. So I knew a little bit about it because I was already podcasting before. I had a French podcast about sales when I was in sales because I thought that's always been my process for learning things. So I had a bit of an idea and I'm a big fan of podcasts. I'm, I'm listening far too much podcast. I mean, when I'm doing the dishes, I'm listening to podcasts. When I, I just was doing some, some concrete works in, in my basement uh, today and the full day I was listening to podcasts. And I thought, you know, as you said, there's not that many podcasts in that space. And I thought, yeah, I would like to have maybe a European perspective on things which didn't exist uh, at the time and maybe have a little bit more matter to, to listen to because, yeah, uh, you're guilty, Trace. You're, you're only pushing one once per week. So uh, that wasn't sufficient to me. So I, I needed to have a bit more. And um, yeah, that's how it started. Well, I, I think I shared this with you. I was once a month when I first started and I went to a podcast convention. Yes, there are actually podcast conventions. And one of the speakers there said, if you're not doing a daily podcast, you're doing a disservice to your audience. And, and I thought this guy was crazy. There was absolutely no way I had the bandwidth to do a daily podcast. But I did get his message. I figured if you did anything less than a week, then people couldn't develop the habits. They forgot that you were even out there. Fully agree with you. Podcast is, is, a, is a matter of habit. It's really about, I know that that podcast comes out on a Monday, that one comes out on a Tuesday. So I know if we're Thursday, I'm listening to, to that podcast. And so it's really part of the daily life. In the pandemic, everything was a bit shifted because you didn't have that time of I'm walking to go to, to, to my office or I'm taking the train or I'm taking the plane or whatever. So that shifted a bit the habits. But since we return a bit to, to the world where we go out and meet people, that's fully part of the routine 
of that podcast element. Maybe that was the role of radio in the past, but I firmly believe that we are replacing somehow radio for the better. I think so too. And I think the fact that there are less rules or really no rules around podcasts, we can discuss things that need to be discussed in the way that need to be discussed, in the length that needs to be discussed. And we don't have to worry about you know, getting cut off because the, the next commercial is coming on. So I think it's really going to change how people get their information. It's already done that, but I think it's going to continue to do that. Fully agree. So your first language is French. Uh, however, you speak English on your podcast. Tell us about that. I would say there's two reasons for that. The first is I never worked in France. So basically all my, my water treatment experience, all my, my business experience, everything is abroad, which means to me, French is the language I speak with my wife and with my daughters. So I have a big difficulty to find the right and proper words in French. So it would be hard for me to interview people in French because I guess I would be, you know, in France, we do a lot of jokes about Jean-Claude Van Damme um, because he used to be speaking French and now more and more he uses a lot of English words in French. So everybody's joking on him. And I, I grew up making jokes about him and his way of speaking. And I thought, I don't want to become that joke. And nowadays, if I speak French, I am fully the joke, so I better not record it. So that was reason number one. And the reason number two is that I want to reach out to many people in this industry and you have to face it. We somehow, French people, lost it against the, uh, the English speakers. So everybody speaks English and unfortunately or fortunately, not all, everybody speaks French. So if I want to interview some, some cool guy from Sweden, from the US, from China, from wherever, I mean, we share the English language, which means you can have that weird French accent like I have or other types of accent. But at the end of the day, if the content is right, people will forgive you for, for the accent. And, and yeah, you collect people. So, so that was, the I would say, the main reason for me choosing the, the English to, to podcast. So I'm curious, how do you determine what the topics are going to be on your show? That's really, really interesting because you have a very well thought process and you're very organized. I'm the total opposite. So I'm a mess. So sometimes I'm going to a conference and I'm listening to 10, 20 different speakers and I'm thinking all of these guys or women are, are amazing. And I definitely want to go a bit deeper into the rabbit hole because in a conference, you just have five minutes to pitch or, or 10 minutes to present something. And that is not sufficient. So that is a first source. And quite recently, I was at the Global Water Summit. I was at the Blue Tech Forum. I visited IFAT. I visited Aquatech. And all of those gave me like a bucket list of people I want to invite. So that's a first source. Then there's LinkedIn, to be honest. And there's a lot of things which are shared on LinkedIn. And I'm thinking, that's interesting. That's not interesting to me. And every time I think I would have many questions that I think, oh, that's a hint that I might be having a cool episode with that, that guest. And the last source is um, some new research papers that come out, some new books that come out, which I try to, to read on a regular basis and which make also for, for good deep dives into some matters. When you go to a conference, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to interview certain people? Do you have certain products that you're trying to find out more about? What, what is your process to get what you're seeing at the conference to your audience? To me, the conference is a way to take the temperature of the industry. You see 
where it heads to, meaning that if someone is presenting something and no one else is talking about that thing, then maybe that someone is a precursor and you can have a discussion with him, but that's not mainstream yet. If you see that three, four, five companies are presenting something which is pretty similar and you don't know the ins and outs about it, then probably it's a good opportunity to dive a bit deeper and to get to know the topic because it's going to be very relevant to your business. And if you see that 15 companies are talking about the same thing, then forget it because you're already too late to, to the game. So that's a bit how I look conferences. And then honestly, I'm not that much of a product guy being working for a product company. Usually we are the ones coming with the products. So I'm really trying to understand where the market goes all the time so that we can be a bit ahead of the market trends and we can team up with whoever is in the early phases of that new trend so that we we help them grow. And because nowadays, that's the best way to have an impact. So those are the two phases of my presence on, on conferences. I would wish one day to do live interviews at conferences. I, I did a couple of them, but the schedule is always so busy that it's hard to, to fit it into the agenda. I want to say it was... Four years ago, whenever AWT was in Palm Springs, I did north of 50 or 60 interviews just walking through the convention hall. And I spent all night editing those because we were trying to get the experience to the audience as it was happening. It was, it was the most laborious thing that I have ever taken on in my life. I didn't get any sleep that week. I'm really surprised that my sound editor didn't quit after that. It was, it was just so much work. And I just decided that I'm just not doing that again. There's no way that there, I could put all the pressure on my staff to do that. But it was interesting being able to catch the pulse of everybody as they were going through the show, what they were experiencing, uh, what they came as far as expectations with and what they were hoping to leave with, what they were hoping to find. So I, I want to figure out a way to capture that, but not have to do all the work. Any ideas? I would say there are two faces to that coin. I'm fully with you with the fact that you can share a bit the the mood of the conference. And um, I'm not doing it on the podcast usually, but I have another show, which is called The Water Show, together with my partner in crime, Björn Otto. And, um, and we do live shows from these big shows, like trade shows, or we will be um, at Akema, at the, 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 the World Congress from the International Water Association, and so far and so on. So that's one way. Uh, the other thing is there's this Zoom fatigue and connection fatigue of people because of the pandemic, which means that I've met some of these conferences organizers and they on purpose decided to be offline and to not share that much with the people who were not there. Because you have to feel that serendipity of being at the conference and really meeting people. And I, I do get that, that feeling. So I think the right in between is maybe what I co-produced with Bluetech at the Bluetech Forum, which is to have like the full conference is over and you just meet some key stakeholders and you just do like, like um, a rewind, what, what stood out in, in the conference. So people who really missed it can have the, the main golden nuggets that were shared. But on the other end, you're not like listening to three, four, five hours of content. I mean, you had to be here to, to experience it. So it's a hard balance to find between those two extremes. But I think that's that line that you have to walk. 
What's something you've learned now that you wish you knew when you first started? <laughs> That's a good one. Actually, when I'm looking back at my very first episodes, the very first that aired is special because it was a face-to-face -face interview, um, which happened just between some ease-up of, of the lockdowns. So, so that one's a bit special to me, uh, close to my heart, because I was interviewing my former boss uh, at Suez. So, But what I didn't notice by recording uh, uh, at that time is that you need to give people more context. You cannot just dive into a topic. You, you need to, to start with the helicopter view, you need to circle a bit around the topic, and then go deeper and deeper and deeper. And people who are still there after half an hour, they deserve that you go in the depth of the topic, but you have to start by, by getting people where they are. And I think that's something when I'm listening back to my first episodes, which is a horrible thing to do, um, that is really something which, which, which caught my, my ears. Like you, you cannot just start with your first question being, so how, how do you remove one for dioxane? Okay, wait, wait, what is one for dioxane? What are we talking all about? What are you doing? Uh, why is it a problem at first? Uh, who's having that problem where? I mean, it's the, the, the very basics of, of journalists. Even if I'm not a journalist, I don't want to be one, but you need to be answering those five W questions first. And uh, if, you, if you get those clear, then you can go to, to the next step. So I think if I could go back two years back in time and, and, and meet myself, I would say, hey, wait a minute. You don't need to, to try to prove everyone that you're clever because you're, you're just bouncing a lot of complex words. You have to be very, very pedagogic. If you can explain something to someone, then you really understood it. And that is the real way to show that you understand the topic. I'll say in training what we do in the water treatment industry, that's really the big difference between the people I think are fantastic instructors and then others that are just up there explaining what they know. And, and, and what I mean by that is if somebody takes a room of students and they want them to leave the room with more than they came in with, that's probably going to be a pretty good presentation. That's probably going to be a, a good mindset that the instructor has. But then we have other people that come into a room and they want to explain to people how smart they are. And they're thinking about themselves and not the people that are trying to learn. And, and I know you've been in those rooms and you're just looking at your watch and you can't wait for that lecture to be over. And, and, and I want to say that's what you just said. Yeah, I fully share that, that, that feeling. It's really about, I think the, the key word here is probably storytelling. You need to, to be, it, it sounds always like if you say storytelling, then people are, oh, come on, it's marketing again. No, it's not marketing. It's about, we are all taught since we are, kids that a story starts by once upon a time and stops by um, and that's how it ended and if you if you keep that in mind and you try to to build your your storytelling and your episode and your your, your line of questioning around that then you're going to catch people you're going to get them to a certain place and then you have some key take-home messages do you think podcasts transcend borders? So when I say something on my podcast, is it more specific what's happening over here in the United States or does it translate well over in France? I will say when I listen to yours, I think it translates perfectly over here. Are you just doing that well or is that a thing with podcasts or is that a thing with our industry? Our industry is very specific in the sense that you have the end users are really small, 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 small islands. They don't touch that much of the other islands around them. 
And if you go to really the, the core of the industry, like the suppliers, like I have the chance to work with on the suppliers, we are touching a bit all of those parts. And that's a bit the place where I see podcasting because actually all of these events, I mean, if you're rebuilding a, a treatment plant, for instance, you would do that once or twice in your career. But if you listen to stories around you of people who did it, then you feel like you know what worked well, what didn't work that well, and you get that that sharing of experience. And, and that's the beauty of having different stories of different places, because actually it doesn't matter really where it happens. It's about water was in a certain state before, you needed to bring it to another state at the end of the day, and everything which happens in between can be translated or or adapt it to your specific situation. And sometimes it's not even about the technology. It's not even about the story itself. It's about the process. How do you start by figuring out the real problem? How do you start solving it? Who do you need to team up with? And that applies really everywhere. So you can tell a very, very US-centric story. And that can be absolutely perfect for someone at the other end of the world to listen to. And the opposite is true as well. You can hear a story from your neighbor and that's not relevant to you because you're not in the same situation in the same space. So it's really about getting the thought process which your guests share, which my guests share, um, and, and to have that thought process translated into your life and to try to, to think the whole time, what's in it for me and what can I apply for myself? What's the one guess that you know you've made it when you booked them on your show? I could have an easy answer here because I'm chasing them down for a while. I have started my, my podcast journey at the time where the merger between Suez and Veolia started to make the heads, headlines. So it's something that I chronicled a bit on my podcast. I had some special episodes around it and uh, I tried to, to, to tell the story from everything you could find outside. What I'm missing here is the inside part of the story. And I'm really trying, I, I have been trying Antoine Frérot and Bertrand Camus when they were the two heads of Suez and Veolia. I've been trying Estelle Braclenoff and Sabrina Soussan since they both, both took over. And uh, so far, I didn't even get a no. Uh, I just got, a, oh, it's not the right time, maybe one day. So that would be maybe the, the obvious answer. But don't get me wrong, I would be blessed to have them and I would be really happy to have them. But I don't have like this, this absolute guest in mind because my ultimate goal is that every single new one which comes on my microphone gets me a portion of the truth with a big T. And sometimes I have no clue when I discuss with them, when I interview them, and it's much later than when I read something or I discuss with someone else that I start to connect the dots. And you, you need to, to rely on serendipity. You need to have many dots out and to start then to connect them. I can give you an example. I know that you, you've read that, that book because it's in your excellent book list on your website, The Worth of Water by Gary Waite and, and, and Matt Damon. When I read that book, I thought, oh, wait, I've heard a lot about the overall concept in another book uh, with uh, David Lloyd Owen, who was on my podcast. And I've heard about blockchain from another of my, of my guests, Katrina Donahy. And I thought, okay, if now I combine all these informations, water credits, so micro credits, uh, the, the, the bigger picture with David Lloyd Owen and the tool with blockchain, all of that might be totally rubbish and nothing, but maybe 
those dots connect and then they can move something. So I just put those people in contact and uh, maybe one day something comes out of that and maybe someday nothing comes out of that. But I have the feeling that within my brain, those dots connected. And that is really the state of mind I'd like to achieve with the podcast, connecting the dots. I love that. Do you get recognized when you go to events for the podcast? <laughs> oh, that's really, um, that's the vanity metric. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I have to say, people reach out to me and say, um, yeah, are you the one podcasting? Yeah, it's me. Um, then we, we, we made a couple of experiments. Like I met with um, Adam Tank, which you, 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 mm -hmm. you, you discussed on that microphone as well. And we made some, some, some pictures and then people figure out like we are influencers. And it's pretty funny to me because I'm, I'm the one holding the microphone and having the questions. I'm, I'm nothing more and I don't intend to be anything more. So it's not about being recognized. But once in a while, I get very, very friendly messages um, from former students when I gave some lecture or from people I don't know at all or from people well, well introduced within that industry. And when I get the message who tells me, you have a shitty French accent, uh, your sound isn't always perfect, but the content is really good, then I'm like, okay, then I nailed it. So I'm curious, of all the jobs out there, you said, I want to be in wastewater. How did that happen? First, I have a very interesting story with water, which is that I attended an engineering school, uh, so a water engineering school, where my parents met. So somehow I can't tell how much I choose about being a water professional and how much was written from day one. Because when I was a kid, my, my father was trading uh, some hours of me doing some weird stuff with water against lunch invitation to the guys that had to repair my mistakes once I was done playing with it. So since always, I've been playing around with, with water. And what I love with the wastewater part of it is that, you know, it's this childish element of playing with nasty stuff and making something valuable out of it. I sometimes, I mean, don't get me wrong, processed water is great, industrial water is great, drinking water is great, but sometimes I feel like I would be a bit constrained if I had to just take water and make it potable. I mean, that's written, you know what it is, it's the same quite everywhere in the world. Whereas with wastewater, you can do so many things. You can do resource recovery, you can do um, waste to energy, you can be treating very, very detailed compounds like micropollutants, and you can also do the very basic job and, and, and still have something very rewarding because you see that the river you're discharging to is in a much better shape if you do your work, your, your job right. So that's what I like about wastewater, honestly. What would you say was one of your most oddest wastewater experiences that you've had? Actually, I have to be honest here, and I have to say that I've been working myself with wastewater at the very beginning of my career, but then I went to the dark side of the forest pretty fast and was working in sales and, uh, and in marketing and in business development. So I didn't have that much of my hands on anymore. But one of my most interesting encounters with wastewater was when I was working on, on a project in, uh, in India, in, in Gujarat, uh, because those are the places where you think, well, of all the things that you could do to, to develop a country, the first you would do is not treat the wastewater. But the community there had a strong understanding of how all of the water is a cycle. And I would say they had a much better understanding of water as a cycle than I had 
before meeting them. So that was an eye-opening moment for me because I thought, yeah, it's not just about a cost for being in business or a compliance question. It's also about preserving the services that you get from nature that you will still get in the next years, decades, and so far and so on. So that is really what you're doing when you're treating the wastewater right. Is Back to the Future a thing? Is that a movie that you're familiar with over in France? Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, that's one of my favorite movies. I refer to that on the show all the time. So you're, you and I are going to get together. We're going to borrow Doc Brown's DeLorean. We're going to set the time circuits to 30 years into the future. What does our industry look like? Oh, God, I wish I would have a clever answer to that one. L let me cheat. We are currently, I mean, the big topic for the water industry right now is, is the SDG 6. So you would expect that in 30 years, everybody has, has access to water, everybody has access to sanitation. We solve a bit of the water scarcity riddle. We, we get sure that we balance things, that we reuse water much more, that we, we use all the energy in wastewater. But if I'm being honest, and uh, if instead of going 30 years in the future, I go 30 years back in time, that leads me to the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. And that was the, the end of the water decade of the United Nations. And people at that time were saying, you know, we're going to solve that and everybody's going to have access to water and everybody is going to have access to sanitation. And they thought that achieved that by 2000. And I have to say, they failed. So how can we make sure that we don't do that same mistake? How do we make sure that in 30 years, it's not about just talking and having plans, but it's about walking the talk and, and really doing stuff. And the big difference between how we address that problem today and the way they addressed it 30 years back is that nowadays, I think we understand that there's a value in doing things right. It can be the ESG framework, it can be the sustainable development framework, whatever you want it to be. But if you're solving a societal challenge, or if you're solving an environmental challenge, then eventually you're going to make a successful business out of it. And so if you're in peace with yourself, with being profitable by doing the right thing, then I'm pretty sure and I'm fully optimistic that the water industry will get there in 30 years, that we solve the water, wastewater challenges we have out there in the world. So to come back after all that sidetrack to your question, 30 years in the future, I wish that as an industry, we have a peaceful relationship with the fact that in that industry, you're allowed to make money. So water isn't free. Water has a value. And on the other hand, that you have to treat it like a very valuable good, which impacts 99% of the world's GDP. So water is precious and the water industry is central to all of that being the bedrock of all other industries. And I'm pretty sure that probably the hard way in 30 years, everybody will have understood that maybe because they ran out of water, maybe because they had bad experience, but hopefully as well because they've listened to season 35 of the Scaling Up H2O podcast and that by then they've listened to so many episodes that they cannot deny the, the value in water. I can't imagine 35 years of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. So thank you for that thought. That's, uh, that's fun to think about. Probably about a dozen years ago, somebody that I work with gave me a question. And the question they gave me was, how do you know what you don't know? And that question has just consumed me. I'm always trying to learn new things because how do you know what you don't know? So that's my question. How do you know what you don't know? 
pretty easy. Discuss with people and you will notice that <laughs> there's a couple of things that you take for granted and they will tell you and explain you how you're wrong. And there's so much that you just don't ignore about their words. So it's about speaking with people who are not just exactly like you, people who are different, who come from a different background, who work in a different space. And there you will learn so much and, and have so much hints and, and, and things about, yeah, what, what you don't know. I mean, it's that old, good old uh, Greek um, maxim that you know that you know nothing, which was replaced recently by the good old HBO maxim, which says, you, you know nothing, Jon Snow. And uh, <laughs> I think both are, both are right. It's about just recognizing that you know nothing. And the key about that is asking questions. I remember my, my first sales calls when I was paired with a senior sales guy and um, we were entering sales calls and I was just candidly asking questions. And he was giving me like, under the table, he was just kicking me like, stop asking questions, we have to look clever. And I was like, no, that's not the way I think it works. I, I really believe there's nothing wrong in asking questions as long as you don't ask really silly questions that you could have solved with a simple Google search before entering the room. But what's wrong is to go out of that room and, and having left open things that you could have asked and solved and, and realized you don't know and someone explains to you and then you know it and then you can come up with more value. So it's really about being humble and yeah, going back to the roots. We know nothing and it's absolutely fine to ask. So many people think, like your colleague, that I can't ask this question because it's going to make me look silly. I love what you said, that if we don't ask the question, we're not going to get to the right answer. So how do you convince somebody that is too timid to ask that question because they don't want to appear as if they don't know? I'm pretty sure it's not timidity. I would say it's really um, your self-esteem is, is, is hurted if, if you start to to show some weakness. And so many studies show nowadays that the way to connect with people is by exposing your weaknesses and to show what you don't know so that they can be of help because people want to help. That's the way we evolved as a society. That's how we came up as, as cavemen and, and grew up to be the society we know nowadays with 8 billion people on earth. It's because we are tempted to help others at any point in time. So I think it's impossible to convince people just by being very, very, very direct and telling them, do it, do it, do it. The best way to convince people to raise questions is to raise questions. So you can question them. And um, there's a brilliant book about that called Spin Selling, um, which is a sales book. I'm pretty sure it's in your, in your book list. I mean, it is. It is. Uh, I've definitely referenced that in the sales training that I do for the Association of Water Technologies. It's one of my favorites as well. It's pretty interesting because you see if I, if I stay on, on the sales side of things, which is about connecting people, so which is a good proxy, uh, you see maybe many sales book authors that were writing in the 80s and 90s about how you have to, to show your excellence and everything. And some of these authors have come back in the 2010, 2020s by saying, wait, here's a new book who just contradicts everything I said before because now I'm firmly convinced you have to ask questions. So the best way is to prove that it works. So... Usually when people ask me, what's the benefit of raising questions? Say, look, I have um, 97 episodes out there as we speak where I'm asking questions to people who are so more clever in their field than I am. And if I can just take 10 or 15% of their wisdom by, by, by asking questions, then that's the value I get. And that's 
what's recorded, but if you do it in your daily daily life, if you make it a routine, even when my daughter comes back from school, I ask her questions because that's how you you connect with people. Well, I'm not going to let it slip. You're in episode 97. What are you going to do to celebrate 100? That's a good question because uh, I have two things colliding. I have the two years of the podcast and the 100. So I don't want to celebrate twice, three weeks. That would be really like, like, like self-centric. My original plan for episode 100 was to get someone um, on my show to interview me. Um, but then I thought, yeah, who wants to, to, to know my story once that they already listened to it on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. So <laughs> that would be really twice the same. So I guess I'm going to have a surprise for two years of the podcast. But if I tell it here, it's not a surprise. But one, by the time this one is out, I guess the second anniversary is going to be done. So go back to my, my feed and find out the special second year anniversary and you'll find the surprise. I have something in mind. It's not yet done. So maybe it's going to turn out exactly as in my head and it's going to be pretty good. Or it's going to be horrible because in my head it sounds good, but in reality it's not. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Antoine, I think you and I struggle from the same thing. We we feel that if we take credit for the podcast, that it is vanity. And what I've learned, and I've been coached through this, that if somebody feels that they have to celebrate work that you and I've done, it's okay for us to accept that. And it's it's we can do that in a humble way because it's not about us. It's not about what we did. It's about how they took what we did and used it how they ever needed it. I'm not saying it as good as the person that coached me through that, but it, it did help me get out of my own headspace and think about, oh, I don't want to appear arrogant. You know, I, I enjoy doing this and I really don't need anything more than that. But what I wasn't doing was I wasn't honoring where that comment was coming from. And I wasn't allowing that person to give me what they needed, which was to thank me for something that I inspired in them. And I truly believe that they did all the heavy lifting in that. They were the ones that maybe they heard something on our podcasts, but they then got the certification or they then went out and made that sale. They did all the work, but we helped. And it's okay if you and I say, well, thank you for letting us know that. It's hard doctrine, I know. I agree with you. I fully agree with you. It's just something where I've been terrible since I'm a kid in uh, I used to play the piano quite a lot and people would come to me and I was like, no, no, don't tell me if it was good or bad. I don't want to know. I hope you had a good time, but but don't <laughs> tell me. So it, it's really about, I don't know how to behave with that. So so yeah, there's still a lot to, to, to learn. Well, you're a sales expert. How have sales changed since the pandemic? And is this a good thing? Is this something that will go back to times prior to the pandemic? Uh, will uh, will we be using Zoom instead of meeting people on a regular basis? Or what do you see for the future in sales? I think it's going to be a mix of all the above. Um, the The thing which didn't come back since the pandemic, and I hope I hope it will never, is something I was very used to, which was to take the first plane in the morning, go to a place somewhere at the other end of, of, of Europe, in my case, and take the last plane in the evening. And in between, there was one meeting with one customer. And sometimes that meeting was lasting for two hours, which was a very good meeting, but still it's a lot of travel for two hours meeting. And sometimes you discover after half an hour that it's it's better for them and it's better for you that you stop there because it's not a match. In which case, it's even more of a long day at the airport for, for nothing. So I think those first contacts have been through through Zoom, through Teams, through, through whatever 
because of the pandemic, and they will stay like that. But we cannot skip the in-person because there is much more you're telling when you're in-person. There's the body language, there's um, all the the untold elements and, and a different type of connection because, I mean, even though I'm used to that, uh, at that specific moment in time, I'm speaking to my camera, which is a weird experience um, if you're not used to that for for a while. So I think the physical meetings will still be a big thing as long as we don't get the the holograms like in Star Wars. The day <laughs> we have that level of quality in holograms, then maybe we can skip the traveling altogether. Um, so I think that is a big difference. The other big difference is you have to become more and more of a content creator if you're in sales. I, I can't tell how the sales word was in the 80s, 90s. I wasn't around. What I'm getting from from the flavors you get from that time is that it was fully okay to to just uh, go out and say, my product is awesome and uh, it used to be green, now it's red, plus we have a 10% discount if you buy it right now, so you better buy it right now. I think if you do that nowadays, people look at you like, oh, actually, they don't even look at you. You're just some noise in in the noise. So it's about getting and 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 um, and bringing across the value you can bring to people. So in in my case, the podcast is a full part of that. I want the water industry to understand that we, as GF Piping Systems, we have the capacity to translate their process struggles into actually products that can work together and deliver on the promise. So I felt that what people would need to get from me is the proof that I, I have a sound understanding of this industry that I understand the challenges and that hence I can come up with solutions. So it's not about me saying that we have the best bulb in the world because we do have the best bulb in the world, but I guess that's totally uninteresting for everyone out there. But if I can show that I understand the struggles you have with the process, then I can come up and explain to you why that bulb in that specific situation is exactly the solution you need. So it's about transitioning from my thing is the best to you have a problem, I have a solution. I've got so many more things I can ask you, but I think we should probably go ahead to our lightning round section. So these are questions I ask of all of my guests. The point values are triple, so it's anybody's game at this time. So are you ready to play? Absolutely ready to play. Here we go. Here we go. The first question, if you could go back in time and talk to your former self on your first day as a wastewater specialist, what advice would you give? Start much, much, much easier with the content. Start discussing with people and record it for your own record. It doesn't have to be even shared with the words, but if I had documented the discussions I had with the very first professionals I met, that would still be useful to me today. So document it, if not for the words, document it for yourself. That's really what I would advise myself. All right, here's a bonus question that I'm slipping in. So same exact question, and it's totally selfish for my benefit. We're replacing the word wastewater specialist with podcaster. How would you answer that? I would say invest in gear because you, you mentioned your microphone to be number four, number five. Uh, mine is number three. And uh, when I started, I thought, you know, I'm a former musician, so I can just use the same. And um, it just makes a whole difference if you get the right sound from the beginning. And I do get that the most important thing is content, but I was already convinced of that when I started. So 
I just noticed that the first five or 10 feedbacks I got about the podcast was, your sound is so lame. And when you get that as a feedback, sorry, it hurts. And it, it just, it's not a service you, you, you give to the people who, who dedicate one hour of their time to discuss with you when the feedback is not about what they shared, it's about the way you framed it. So that is really something I, I would share to myself. What are the last few books that you've read? On the last conference I went, there, there was a conference by Erika Gies, who wrote the, the book Water Always Win, which is one of the hard copy I have. I don't have that much anymore. So that's the one I'm reading right now. Really interesting. It's about finding, finding water around the world in, in, in places, I mean, in cities, a bit everywhere, like finding the untold water. I would say uh, another very inspiring one I already mentioned is the one from, from Gary White and Matt Damon, the, the Worth of Water. That's really mind-blowing. Just if you have one figure to take out of that, is that if you lend money to the poorest people on earth for them to have access to water, they repay 99% of their loans, which just gives you the sense of how much value there is in having good, good quality water. In terms of the most impressive overview on the water industry I read this year, it's the book of David Lloyd Owen. The, the name sleeps out right now. Sorry, David, um, just, just lost the, the title. But it, it's, I mean, it's hard to read because it's a book full of wisdom. Like every, every sentence is a wisdom. So it's not something that you read uh, just before going to bed. Not possible, or you, you you sleep much too fast. So it's not it's not a pleasant read, but it's the most thoughtful overview I got of this industry ever. And that was three. Let me sneak one more because those were two ladies which I interviewed um, on my podcast. It's uh, Alice Schmidt and Claudia Winkler, and they wrote that book, The Sustainability Puzzle. So it's not really a water book. It's more a zoom out and looking at the full picture. And as water treaters, as water professionals, it's really interesting to have that overview because it gives us a sense from where we are evolving within that world and what are the challenges we can help solve. And, and that one is really easy to read. And I, I think I read it in, in, in two days of, of train commute. Excellent. We'll make sure to get all those on our show notes page so people can get those books. When they make a movie about your life, who do you want playing you? Jean-Claude Van Damme, right? No, 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 no. Because uh, <laughs> it's an audio show, so I can lie. I have far more muscles than him. So uh, uh, <laughs> no, I guess I would see some, someone like um, Andy Sandberg or, or Jesse Eisenberg. Basically, they are the same. Just because uh, I feel like a bit nerdy, like, like they can be. Um, and uh, I, I love how Andy Sandberg in Brooklyn Nine-Nine is portraying someone with, who's making fun while being good at what he does. And I think that's the way I try to be. I don't know if I am, but I try to be fun and to be good at what I do. Well, I've experienced a lot of fun being on your show and you being on mine. So I think you're accomplishing that. Last question. If you could talk to anybody throughout history, who would it be with and why? I think I would try to talk with Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Sounds like, like, like really, really weird to, to, to mention him now. It's just that... I like to understand how, how, how blessed you have to be to just come up with what he did at the age of three, four, five, uh, how much of a tortured mind you have to be. And, and maybe also to tell him that, you know, it's fine. He might not be very successful at the time, but uh, he's going to be recognized in, in the next centuries as the biggest musician ever. So yeah, that's the, from the top of my, my head right now, that's the one I'd like to meet. So nothing to do with water. 
Well, since you brought up music, you also brought up you were a musician. What do you play? I'm playing the keyboards. So that was my, my basic instrument. I've been in a, in a boys' core when I was a child, which gave me the opportunity to travel the world, to be at, at many places, to, to give some concerts. Uh, the keyboards bought me my first car. So I never was a rock star, but still, uh, I got my first car because I was playing keyboards. And uh, nowadays, the way I play music is that one of my best friends is a choreographer. And uh, I'm blessed to have the chance every once in a while to compose some music for him so that he can make some cool things uh, on stage. So it's it's really a fun place to to be. It's like making movie scores, but for a live movie. So it, it's really fascinating. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. A lot of fun we had around uh, the topic of podcasting. Don't get to talk about that often on the show. So uh, if people want to find out more about your podcast, where do you want them to go? So basically on all the podcatchers, you'll find the, the, the show by typing Don't Waste Water. It's tricky because of my stupid pun, because if you just type Don't Waste Water, you don't always find it depending on your platform. So you have to really put the, the brackets. But the easiest is just type, you, you type my, my name and then you, you find it out. And maybe the easiest place to, to find all of that is my website, which is dww.show. So like Don't Waste Water, so dww and .show because I'm a fancy guy and the dot com wasn't for me so i wanted it to be like dot show but that's the place where you find all the show notes all the interviews uh, and a bit more like my videos and my additional content excellent thanks so much for coming on scaling up h2o well thanks a lot for having me trace it was a pleasure to be and was really honored to be among your impressive list of guests on that on that microphone so thanks a lot for the opportunity Scaling Up Nation, it was really fun for me to have Antoine on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Antoine is very, very gracious, and we connected on LinkedIn. I've listened to his podcast. He's listened to my podcast, and he was very gracious, had me on his podcast not too long ago. And if you want to listen to that, I will have that link on our website, scalinguph2o.com. And it was just a lot of fun when people are interested in sharing information about something that they do. And in this case, it was the podcast. Antoine actually shared some of the tools that he uses to make his podcast even better. And there were tools that we were not using, and we tried to return that favor in kind. One of the things that Antoine shared with me was a service called Listen Notes, and it ranks podcasts. And uh, so here was a really neat thing. He actually told me this, that we had a global rank on Listen Notes in the top 5% of all podcasts. Uh, what does that mean? It means that out of uh, 2.8 million podcasts, the Scaling Up H2O podcast is ranked in the top 5%. And oh my goodness, what a humbling fact. Uh, that is just amazing. The fact that uh, we've got a microphone and we record ourselves and we put up on the internet and you, the Scaling Up Nation, have made this podcast what it is and shared it with each other and given us some ideas and allowed us to grow it where we're in the top 5% of all podcasts, not just podcasts in the water treatment space, but all podcasts. 
I just think that is amazing. And Antoine was the one that shared that news with me. And it was just so great to share that with my team that all the hard work that they do, hey, it's proof that it's working. And thank you so much for taking the Scaling Up H2O podcast and making it what it is today, sharing that information, getting us information so we can make future shows letting people know how to download a podcast. It's kind of funny for certain people in our industry, they've never listened to a podcast before. And now they're listening to podcasts because you help them download their first podcast player and set them up. So each and every week when a new episode of Scaling Up H2O happens, they get it automatically. So that was all of you. And I want you to celebrate with me that statistic of being in the top 5% of all podcasts. So Antoine, thank you for sharing those metric sites with us. I try not to pay attention too much to metrics because uh, as Antoine and I were, were talking about, that is a vanity metric. And um, as we were also talking about, it is and it isn't. It allows us to know if we're doing what we need to do to reach the right audience. And then however the audience responds and downloads and shares, we're able to see if what we're doing is working. Uh, but I struggle just like Antoine with the fact that it's hard for me to take a compliment because I feel like you know I'm not really doing anything special and I don't want to diminish somebody else because I'm doing something that they aren't doing. And I, it, it's just hard for me to take credit. I, I get exactly where Antoine was coming from. And I mentioned that to a good friend of mine, and he's been on the show. You guys have met him, Tim Fulton. He told me, he said, Trace, why are you being so selfish? And I looked at Tim like he was nuts. How, how am I being humble? How is my being humble being selfish? And I think I said just those very words. And he said, well, you're in your head and you're not trying to get into theirs, which is the whole point of communication. I'm trying to understand where the other person is coming from so I can ultimately build them up according to their needs well, I was worried about my needs. I wasn't worried about their needs. So he really snapped me into a different mindset. So if you come up and thank me for the show, I really do appreciate that, but it's it's weird for me to accept. So I've had to learn how to do that. And I'm betting there are a lot of people out there, maybe it's not a podcast, but it's something else. And you don't know how to accept praise or compliments if you get out of your own head and you do accept it for the person, not yourself, it really gives a gift to that person that needed to communicate that with you. Whoever said thank you needed to say thank you and acknowledging that you received that thank you is actually giving them a gift. So that's how I'm able to react better to that. If this is helpful to you, I hope you use this. I'm very grateful for that phrase that Tim gave me. And by the way, Tim is great at doing that. He will ask me questions and give me these little one-line questions that just totally changes the way that I think. I have the privilege of leading several mastermind groups, and I coach some of the people on the mastermind. And a lot of the things that I've learned are me being coached myself. And it's not about what I know to advise people to do. It's about encouraging them 
to think through what they're dealing with and coming up with solutions on themselves. And of course, you do that by asking better questions. And Antoine touched on that too. The better questions you ask, the better solutions that you get to. So it's all about questions. It's all about making sure that you're listening to people and the intent is to build them up according to their needs. And just imagine if we did that, how much better the world would be. If we were less worried about ourselves, more worried about others, more worried about making everything we touch better, that's a world that I want to live in. And I believe that we can all get there. I believe we're not very far from that. With that, somebody that is helping everything that he touches get a little bit better is our friend, James McDonald. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about how water quality varies within your area. How do parameters such as hardness, alkalinity, silica, and connectivity vary around your area? How do they change between surface water and groundwater sources? Does the city water quality vary according to the water source they may be using at the time? How does this impact water treatment programs you are managing? How can it impact the pretreatment, chemistry, and water efficiency? Is the end user aware of these potential impacts? Take this week to think about how water quality varies within your area and the impacts it may have. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Well, thanks, James, and thanks to all of you for wanting to know more about podcasting, more about what it means to make the Scaling Up H2O podcast. We're going to continue that with next week's episode. And of course, that's going to be Halloween, one of my favorite holidays. So until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I'll see you next week, folks. Nation, almost two years ago, I started the Rising Tide Mastermind. We have over four groups and a waiting list for a new group Folks, it is wildly successful. And what I mean by that is that we are able to process issues together and get new ideas about how we solve the issues that we all face day to day in ways that we might not have come up with on our own. Folks, look into the Rising Tide Mastermind to see if it is right for you by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind If what you see looks interesting, schedule an appointment with me and we will see if the group is right for you and you are right for the group.